This is Catching Waves, the podcast that started as a casual conversation between three brothers on a hike through Muir Woods. It evolved into a continuous exploration of philosophy, brotherhood, and life. We welcome you to join us as we question, experiment, document, and grow, but claim no responsibility if you break out in instantaneous enlightenment, spontaneously combust, or develop irreversible hemorrhoids while following along at home. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 152, On the Matrix, Merriam-Webster Definition. A matrix is an environment or material in which something develops, a surrounding medium or structure. In this episode of the podcast, we dive into the matrix. What is the matrix? I'd like to discuss this on multiple levels. One, as fans of the film, let's talk about what our experience is like viewing it. Why was it so powerful? And what were its allegories pointing to? Two, what matrix or matrixes do you find yourself in in life? How do you navigate them after seeing them for what they are? And three, of course, let's talk about the new trailer. All right. Okay. Stepping into the matrix. The matrix. So what was, was what was your experience? Um, I took a lot, lot of time to I, I watched it twice over and had took each pass to write different kinds of notes from a different angle. Um, and at one point it was it was really fun to have like it was an exercise. It wasn't just watching the movie. <clears throat> and remember getting excited and I felt like how am I so excited right now about a movie like and it felt like I was watching it for the first time again mm-hmm. so that kind of brings me back to when I like the the very first question about this episode is it was what was our experience watching it for the first time and someone asked me to ask you about a very special viewing of the matrix that took place in a very weird place oh yeah so can you please tell me your experience of watching the matrix for the first time (laughs) okay i love i love this um this (laughs) experience by the way this story was special um i was i believe i was a junior in high school and then um mom had planned a trip for us to go to carmel california and the mayor of that town happens to be clint eastwood i don't know uh, he was at one point i don't know if he was at that point um but it's this small little town that has like bed and breakfasts and it's perfect for (laughs) middle-aged middle i didn't i didn't mean the middle-aged part but i mean it was definitely mom (laughs) middle-aged adults no um you know and nate and i were there and (laughs) we were kind of like we're at that age where it's let's watch a movie let's watch tv we're teenagers this is boring. Get me out of here kind of vibe. And she had booked us at a hotel that was kind of like, it was like perfect for people that were going to a conference, like a business conference. The 
the rooms had no TVs in them, which instantly it's like, you know, now that would not be that big of a deal for me at all. Cause I like, I don't watch as much TV, but then it was a huge deal. And we're like, what are we going to do here? And it just had like this weird vibe. Um, each room, um, was decorated kind of from like the sixties. And so it's like Brady bunch without TV. We're in there. And I think we were in there for probably like 20, 30 minutes. And then dad's like, all right, we got to do something. (laughs) This is weird. (laughs) We are a movie family and there is no movie. So we are having a hard time. This is going to become the shining real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, Um, We started looking around for like, you know, different options of entertainment. And I don't remember who it was, but we like, um, we suggested like, let's go find a theater and see what they're playing. So we got out and we found this like little movie theater slash playhouse. And they happened to be showing the matrix. And so, um, we decided to go and we, we sat down. We were like the first ones in this theater and it was really small. It was like, uh, you know, if you remember like the smaller theater rooms at Birdcage okay. in uh, Citrus Heights, it was like that size. And so we, we walk in, we look around, no one's there. All right. So we sit in the middle. We got prime seats and then people start coming in like right after us. And though there are plenty of seats, they all sit in front, to the left, to the right, and behind us. Like, immediately around us. Right next to us, not, like, giving us a gap in seats. And I was like, this is weird. We feel like we got locked in. You know, like, (laughs) we're surrounded in this weird town. And we just, you know, we just came in and like feel like we're trapped. So like, okay, whatever. And then the movie starts and I didn't know what to expect. I really had very little to go off of in way of storyline or backstory. So I was experiencing this thing for the first time and it just blew my mind. I had no idea what the hell I was watching <laughs> and I'm sure you know, 99% of it went way over my head. But the the 1% that did get in there, it changed me forever. And I remember saying right after um, and feeling it, like when I stepped out of that little theater, I felt like Neo, like when he flexes in the world around him, like bends. That's how it felt. And it was raining when we got outside. And I was just like, wow, like what <laughs> to, to quote Cypher, what a mind job. <laughs> and um, so then we were going back to our hotel and it had rained. And apparently it had like, like lightning had struck a tree at the entrance of this weird hotel. 
and completely blocked our way in. And so dad's like, what the hell? <laughs> like, so he starts driving around looking for a, another way in. But like we did a full loop and he's like, there's no way into this place. And he was starting to get really frustrated. And mom was like, you know, making suggestions. And he's kind of not now, bunny. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, uh, and he's like looking and then at one point he he kind of like pulls in front of this little what looks like an alleyway in but from my perspective i see two of those yellow like cement mounted poles that like you know it you can't get through them that's what i see <laughs> And dad's like, all right, we'll just have to do it. And then mom freaks out. She goes, Jack. And she like puts her hand on his like arm. And he goes, no, I'm doing it. <laughs> and I'm like, doing what? <laughs> like we're going <laughs> to bust through this barricade. And so. He's beginning to believe. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was freaking out because what I saw and what I believed was completely different than what they or what dad had seen. And he he like he steps on the gas and we start going, we start accelerating pretty quickly and I freak out. <laughs> I go, "Get me out of the fucking car." And I like open up the door and dad like <laughs> dad shouts he's like close the fucking door <laughs> and i like he was so mad that i opened the door and like how he reacted made me react and i like closed the door and i was like all right here we go like he's lost his mind we're gonna crash this car into those cement pillars and we're done like what the hell? Or it was just so stupid in my mind. I had no way of like comprehending what he was doing. <laughs> and then we accelerate to these things, and then it just goes doop, doop, and they're like rubber. And instantly, I'm like, they're rubber. And mom's like, yeah. And dad's like, yeah. What did you think they were? It's <laughs> like, well, the way mom reacted. Like if I knew they were rubber, it'd be like, yeah, what like what's the what's the holdup here? Like <laughs> why didn't we yeah. do this before? But I thought like the whole story just was flipped in my mind because of kind of how mom was reacting. Like, I don't know if we should do this. <laughs> like <laughs> there's no harm in this, but that was it. Like that we we made it into the hotel and the rest of the night was pretty normal, but it was just like for a window of about three hours, the weirdest stuff was going on in my life. Weirdest experiences. Yeah. My my entire reality was so upside down. And that had a very profound effect on the rest of my life, I think, mm -hmm. you know. But what was your, do you recall your first experience with it? Absolutely. Um I saw it with a friend. I was uh, working up at the store and 
it was like, I think it was Easter day. And, um, he came back up after I was just getting off my shift and he's like, want to go see the matrix. And at the time, I don't recall really understanding what it was going to be other than just seeing, I have a memory of the only thing I knew was that Keanu was saying, you know, looking at Morpheus jumping and saying, whoa. So it was just the matrix itself going in was a big question mark. What, what is this? Um, I think I was probably aware of really cool CG and Kung Fu. Awesome. Sign me up. And then great actors playing all the parts. And so we saw it and probably like all good movies do. And I think you were just explaining that is that for a certain time afterward, you're like, you're different. You're like, you're almost, you're like, you're like that main character, you're like the protagonist, or you're seeing a little bit of what that movie has to offer for a certain window of time. Um, I thought it was kind of weird for like, it was perfect timing in my life because I was also a lot like, probably not nowhere near to the scale. I mean, it's probably a joke to compare myself, but I was becoming... I was 19 years old. I was moving from being a kid to being less of a kid. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the next stage of my life, I don't want to say adult, but, um, we stayed out too late that night. I came home and mom screamed at me. So I, (laughs) (laughs) um, mom reminded me that I was still a kid in her eyes in some ways. So that was, that was another part of that three hour window after the movie where it was like, kind of have a, an interesting circumstance that happens, but um, there was something in me that, that was a, there was a, some kind of context that made the matrix special to me as much as it was special to other people. um, I felt like coming out of that, it was like, what is that? Why is this so special to me? I need to know more. It was, it was a starting place. Um, and it's continued to be a special flick for me. Um, I felt the same thing coming out of like inception, you know, it challenges something big in you and then you come out and you you feel some kind of new perspective and new meaning, um, that is the beginning of something. Definitely. Yeah. How do you how do you feel about the the uh, I mean what what are you expecting from the Matrix Four? I have no idea. It's it's interesting because it's like they've made they've obviously made like some some choices to to make it feel different, and it feels almost like it's being affected by Inception. And obviously Inception, I think, would not have existed had The Matrix not come out. Like, um, so it's, it definitely has, there are things in that trailer that I'm like, that feels like Inception meets The Matrix. And um, I don't know. I, 
I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be the best one. I, and I have no, I have no idea why I feel this way, but I've asked a couple people and they've said the exact same thing without me like first giving my opinion of it. But it's like, yeah, I think that's going to be the next, like that's going to be the best one since the first one. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And, um, but there are weird choices, obviously. Like you see Morpheus isn't being played by Lawrence Fishburne and it's as if Neo doesn't really know him. And you're like, what is going on? But that's that whole story. Like you can't, I wouldn't expect to watch that trailer and know, you know, it wouldn't be the matrix if you knew what was going on in the, yeah. in the trailer. So I think they were probably, we were probably more prepared for episode two and three than we are with for four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and which, which sister now, uh, is directing it? Is it Lana? I don't, I don't know. I, um, I was only, yeah, I don't, yeah, obviously the first one was both Wachowskis or the first three were the, uh, both. And now it's one. Um, I'm, I'm less aware about that and more just interested in the story. Um, so I, I, I'm hoping it's a, I hope it's a, it's a great story. I, yeah, it's, it's funny because it reminded me and I'm, it reminded me of coming out of Matrix Revolutions. Was it Revolutions? Yeah. Well, Um, Revolutions was one of them. There was Reloaded and I think Revolutions. Reloaded third one was yeah the everything has a beginning has an end and so that was a complete arc and i remember leaving the theater with diana and her saying i can't wait until matrix four when trinity comes back and at the time i gave her oh honey like like you're almost to say like you're so simple you you didn't get the main point like that was the arc that was the end (laughs) <laughs> and um so it was kind of a little mean i was i was have you know kind of looking down on her in quite a few ways and then all of a sudden <laughs> now she's looking down <laughs> yeah out of all matrix four and i'm like see that it's cyclical all of a sudden you got a little too high for your britches and then suddenly you get proven wrong yeah so i was kind of happy about that although I'm, I'm with you i'm like i'm back to feeling like i was with the first trailer of the first one i i don't know yeah, I thought it was a great trailer, and um, I just—I guess I don't know what the point of this movie would be. And hopefully, it's not just a continuation. It's—I I don't see how it could be. There's got to be something new, other than okay, you know, humanity needs the one again. Um, I, I mentioned to to Nate in our episode that you know, what if moving beyond the events of the matrix, you know, the, the need to save humanity, the need to overthrow the machines. What if that is all just this story? Um, what if, what if that is just a, what if the events of the matrix were something that happened in, in any device during a software upgrade? You know, it's like, well, Neo, yes, you are the one, but you're just helping the machines build a better matrix. So it's, yeah, that was software upgrade 10.4 and this is 10.5. Um, 
but that's and that's just a just a, a way of looking at it. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. I, I played with some ways, like different ways of viewing it as opposed to whatever the Wachowskis were intending it to mean or symbolize or anything that just in a general way meant waking up. I was trying to find comedic ways or, you know, just a very uh, different ways of seeing it. Um, you had mentioned at one point that you went and you bought several DVDs. And one of those was V for Vendetta, right? Yeah. Did you watch that again? I didn't. I I watched I watched um a little bit of the Animatrix and probably half of the Matrix. Okay. And I still plan on, you know, diving further into both of those. Um before mine and Nate's episode, but, um, and I had planned on finishing at least the matrix by ours, but just one thing after the other, but, um, but yeah, watching, watching those again, it's just, it's, it's interesting for me because from the perspective of like that and Terminator. And there's a lot of movies that have given us this like bad taste of humans plus technology. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's like, and I get it. It's a, it's, it's entertaining. And it's also kind of a warning that if we're not careful, things could get really messed up. Um, because we made something that if we give it the ability and it already does have the ability to become smarter than us. Um, it may very well see us as like for what we are like these flawed emotional beings. And that could possibly work against us. Yeah. Um, I wonder it, if it's some indication of how we really feel about ourselves. Yeah. That we're well, so oh, afraid. <laughs> yeah. 100%. And I think like, that's also, that's something that it's like, we're afraid and we're emotional. And I think we are too affected by the things that we create at times. Um, you know, it's like, I, I've heard John Lasseter of Pixar say it. And, uh, I think Arthur C. Clarke coined the phrase that, um, you know, art imitates life and pushes, you know, pushes advancement in technology and technology inspires art. And it's like this, um, this cycle that we can create something that doesn't exist just in an idea like somebody super creative maybe doesn't have the ability to to bring a technology forth but they can come up with an idea and say hey it would it'd be like this and then you know like Jules Verne i believe was a huge inspiration to Arthur C Clarke and then um and then if i'm not mistaken Arthur C Clarke 
you know, came up with ideas that they're now saying like, oh, well, we're going to and we're, you know, we're on our way to inventing that. Um, and to me, I hear that and I, I think of like the Matrix and some of these other stories. And I just think, well, OK, then it, someone needs to step up and make an equally as influential kind of story where we are able to see an amazing future with technology mm-hmm. and, you know, with AI and all this stuff. Cause I think that's important that if like, if we, if we take the upfront time to like envision that, then we would be able to move in that direction. But right now it's like, it's definitely, we have a lot of very profound um, and impactful and influential stories that are kind of, it makes me worried because we're like you would, I mean, just by how I, I feel right now, I, I feel like, you know, if we have that, story going on that was like oh that movie was amazing well when we say it was amazing it's more on the end of it was very impactful Mm -hmm. on our culture and it's like yeah but was that a positive effect like it would take essentially what we were saying with that story is like technology is gonna freaking destroy us and it's gonna take a god (laughs) being reborn (laughs) In order to save our asses. <laughs> like, well, I, uh-oh. <laughs> and I, I look at that and I have to, I I feel better about not just being locked into, oh my God, like it's a bad thing to be, to, to invent Frankenstein's monster and having be killed by him or subjected to a prison by him. What if Cypher was right? What if, what if it's what if Agent Smith was right? What if it's better to invent the machines, have them take us over, and then give us a better dream so we feel like we're in control but really not, mm-hmm. and give us our steak back because you really don't want to be eating a bowl of snot Yeah, <laughs> just because you want to be free because right. if you're allowed to be free, you're going to destroy yourselves, which is what Smith was saying. Yeah. It's, That's a good no, point. No, no. You... You invented the tool. You've always invented tools and they've bettered your life. But unfortunately at this point, I mean, maybe it's not unfortunate. This tool is not just going to help you a little bit. It's going to help you completely. It's going to take away all the bad and take away all your weapons that you would just use to kill yourselves and will give you a beautiful dream. And it's debatable whether that's bad or not. Cypher makes the choice. I like that better. Yeah. And I, I don't think Cypher's a bad guy. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's, we've had this discussion where it's like, obviously in like a traditional story, he, he betrays what is painted as like the good guys, um, you know, to get to a better place. But you have a very valid point in that, like, 
who wouldn't feel that way. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to cruise around locked in a tin can eating snot. <laughs> like <that's>, <laughs> I would rather be oblivious to the fact that I'm, you know, I'm just in like a little womb incubator yeah. and living this like amazing life. And, you know, obviously this goes to like old um, stories and, and concepts of, is it Plato's theater? Uh, Plato's, the allegory of the cave. Is yeah. Something that Plato wrote about in his uh, yeah dialogue. Yeah. Where, you know, we're chained and we're looking at our shadow from like a fire and we're believing that that is our life. Um, I don't know. There are times where it almost feels like that, where you're like, yeah, this, there's certain things that happen and I have no explanation for it, but yeah, I, I think the, the cave analogy is great. Just, um, you know, it's hard to see that that, and really that's a great anal- uh, allegory a- analogy of what's really happening is that we have a knowledge of appearances. Like all our knowledge is about the, the visual appearance, what, like what we see, what we hear, what we feel, all these thoughts. But we have these moments of not just seeing something different. In fact, it's probably not seeing anything different. It's a different way of seeing and that's hard to express of you have this kind of, I don't know if it's a, 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 it's a different way of seeing. And they, they even point to that in, in the matrix where he says, why, why do my eyes hurt? You've never used them before. Yeah. That itself is kind of an analogy to what this is. It's that you see that it's, all our wants and fears, all our, all our striving to good and away from bad is based on appearances. So it's based on shadows. And you can even get hung up on the, the retelling of a matrix or a story, a metaphor like this. But the real point is you got to unchain yourself and go get out of the theater, which is a story that you can't rely on. You've got to actually do it. Which you see uh, from the case of Neo, the whole way through, it's like, I was commenting on the fact that uh, I was writing about this. There were so many moments of talking about his readiness to see. And he, uh, in the very beginning, uh, Morpheus is talking to him and, and saying, you might not be ready to see what I'm going to show you, but we don't have a lot of time. And then, you know, along the way, he keeps having these little mini epiphanies until he's ready to see completely. And um, he even has to die in order to completely see. Yeah. And I think that's a lot like us is uh, it would be. I guess you could take the magic mushrooms and see all the way right now, but it's it might be too much for you. Um. You're gonna. You don't. You don't watch the Matrix at seventeen or nineteen and go. I get it now. <laughs> you're, I'm done. Yeah. You need decades to be able to process to actually 
do the whole thing because you're you're not ready to give up all the shadows because it's all shadows. What matrixes do you find yourself in? I think there are many and I think language is a huge matrix. Oh yeah. I think your entire belief system, all your beliefs about anything and everything, including yourself and what's true, that's that's a hefty matrix. Um and how do you think that that affects you? Your current your current beliefs, how has that affected your life? It affects me at every moment because it seems like that's the that's the automated reaction that I have to my experience right now. Yeah, and in that sense, um, viewing it in that way, it's like you don't actually make the choice, the deliberate choice, in any single moment. You really these these kind of uh, hard coded or, or um, you know, all the, all the, if I was kind of operating off my own operating system with all this stored memory, then those thoughts and energy patterns that are associated with those thoughts, they come up automatically. That's not something I'm going, okay, run this program. It just comes up. You see, you see something, you hear something, and it's like every, your past, the way it's been encoded, is automatically coming up to give definition to these meaningless perceptions. And you're operating off your own map, which as much as it's like automatic, it's also changeable in the moment. And we don't necessarily, we have this kind of, the automation is, we usually rely upon it and we believe in it. So we're not likely to question it. But there really is no bad or good happening outside of us. It's just this, uh, That's why I think any type of real point to waking up or pursuit of truth isn't about just simply, I mean, it's, you have to question everything that you believe. And it's not just simply about a matter of trading one belief for another. And it, I think it takes it seems to be part of the process of any type of seeing beyond the shadows is to encounter moments that are seemingly bad, seemingly dark. So what, what do you think? Okay. Cause you said, it's not necessarily good, not necessarily bad. Um, and it seems as though, like, 
when you say that, it's your definition of good and bad or someone else's definition of good and bad that is that you're challenging. Yeah. What is um what do you think is a better definition? A better definition of of good and bad. Because, like, probably, like, well, at least one way would be good for me or bad for me. Right. I mean, it's, I think that we get caught up in these absolute truths that are being delivered with a relative means of expression Mm -hmm. or communication. It's, we use thought, but we do it in some absolute sense. Like, like anything permanent makes sense in a, in a conceptual way when it's like we, we, we think of truth as being one thing and not another being some place that we had arrived at, or, I mean, th- this is all just mouth sounds. What do you mean? It's true. What, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, can you convey truth in words? Can you convey it in thought? Um, or is there, is there a finite expression of something being conveyed using this relative means called, you know, language? Um, I think we touched on this actually, and I, I want to dive further in this direction for sure. We touched on this recently, the difference between like, thinking we know something versus having direct intimate experience that we can't quite uh, articulate. Yeah. And there, and how many times we say we know something because we read it or we've thought about it a lot, but still haven't yet experienced it. And then once you experience it, you're like, Oh, <laughs> And then you're like, I get what all those words were really aimed at now. But now I know through experience that I did not know before. Yeah. And that is like, and, you know, we had talked about that, like that would make a great episode to really unearth and think about all the things that we claim to have experience with only because we've read about it or thought about it when we have act, we actually don't know what it means. Yeah. And the things, the, the things that, you know, that we do have experience with direct experience with, and we understand because we have had experience with it and, and how, you know, how that, has, how those things have changed our lives um, profoundly as we discover those. But yeah, it's, this is, I find, I find it interesting too, that even when we do have some kind of direct experience with something, we so quickly try to catalog it 
Yeah. The way we do everything else. <laughs> yeah. So even if it's like you really did see and then suddenly you're not in that three hour window after that movie or after that traumatic experience or amazing experience that you had, your eyes are once again adjusted to the shadows. And now you're trying to reduce your your direct knowing, your direct seeing into um, something mappable, you know, something mappable to language, to knowledge. To a, You make it a science, you make it a religion, a philosophy, you make it a law and go, there it is. And that's going to happen whether we want it to or not. It's one of the most amazing things about this place. That's why I also think that science, religion, philosophy, psychology, all that stuff, it's like, it's going to be an important shadow, but it's, but it's a shadow. Yeah. It's, uh, it's important not to, I think, get hung up on any type of idolization or demonization, which I think at a certain level are the same thing. You're getting hung up on this is good and this should be, or this is bad and shouldn't be. And you need to wake up, which makes me wonder if Neo is really awake. Um, it's possible that you could have a guy like Cypher go all the way, completely wake up and realize there's nothing inherently different, you know, on a, on a, on a truth level, if you want to call it that, to being in the Nebuchadnezzar and eating snot in the desert of the real and fighting the agents because what he still thinks things he still believes things he still sees hears feels all that now the content of the appearance is different and it sucks but he asked the question well, why is why is steak worse from my perspective steak is steak whether i have a steak in the real world or i have it in the matrix but i know i have a lot more of it in the matrix so Hey, Smith, put me back in chains. That's fine. Um, and who knows? Maybe, you know, maybe he, his character, somebody like him could see beyond the shadows and then go, now that I've seen beyond, behind all the shadows, now I would much rather just watch a better movie. Yeah. And The Matrix is a better movie than The Desert of the Real. Okay, I got a question for you. Okay. Have there been any clues, notes, experiences that you've had that make you believe that you are in a matrix? Like an actual designed thing that is trying to tell you what the best path of life is for you. we've talked about the intuition and I've had many moments in my life where there has been, it, it felt fundamentally like the, the thought, if you want to call it that felt fundamentally different than my normal thoughts. It felt like something that I didn't feel an identification to. Like I didn't feel like I did it. Um, I've had, in, in, in moments of some kind of, whether it was despair or struggle, 
or maybe coming off the heels of something that was very traumatic and left me in this kind of different place of seeing the world. I have these things that like these insights that seem to come from a different direction. I don't know how to explain it and make me laugh, but it's almost like a different it's um, I thought, is that what religious people are, are seeing and experiencing? And I've seen it too much to, I'm not arguing that there's something else going on. I might be arguing with the, a very rigid sense of what that is and who's saying it and what's it, where is it coming from? That I think doesn't mean as much. Yeah. But for anyone to say, like, pay attention and you'll start to notice things. That's probably the, the best advice I could give. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remembered, I mean, it's a, a joke came to me um, in 2020. It just seemed like one thing after another was happening. And and I'm sure 2020 was a lot rougher on other people than it was me. It wasn't that bad. But all these things happening outside. And then I was getting to a point where I couldn't watch the news. I wasn't doing that. But then even when I did that, I was having, it's kind of, there was a, a few little minor crises in my life that led up to this one night where <laughs> it was like the night I got Reiki from a friend, which was great, and proceeded to have kind of a, a good but traumatic experience with that where a lot of my emotion came to the surface. We came home and then realized we were going to have to promptly take our, our chihuahua to the vet for the last time. I'm like, oh, this is just a great night. Yeah. Um, and it was just too much of a coincidence to ignore. She passed. And then I spent the next couple of days just, you know, obviously going through some kind of grieving process. And I knew in the time it was like, it had much more, it was not just her. There was something else. There was like a, I've had certain problems in my life where I was I, I there was some inherent deep intuitional feeling that I should use this minor trauma as like okay the gateway is open you might as well dump all the poison you can while you can it seems like there's some window in me that like the, the drawbridge is down let out as much poison as you can because when the drawbridge comes up I'm a pain in the ass and I can't see and I can't make myself see or, or purge, you know, some of the bullshit. So I did that. There was a lot of writing going on, a lot of meditating. And a lot of moments of just sitting there and just paying attention to what was coming up. And I remember one night, it, it almost felt like it was some kind of gift for having used that trauma in the right way. But I remember this wonderful joke just coming to my mind like fully formed. I did not do this. There was nothing in my normal thought process that would have just randomly thrown this out. I, I did not do this. Some other force was giving this to me and giving me a little wink. But this idea came to me, 2020 feels like getting a blowjob on a bumper car. And I laugh my ass off. <laughs> and to anybody looking at me, they would be like, you're out of your goddamn mind. And I really sensed 
that there was a communication going on. Yeah. And I've had that many times in my life. It started happening more after watching The Matrix for the first time when I started reading more things of a philosophical or spiritual nature, religious nature. And I was becoming aware of, like, you get these little, these little insights that I could not for certain say was me, right? came from me. But I also, it was weird because I couldn't say it was not me. It's this weird, undefinable place because I could see why people would say, oh, that's my guardian angel, that's my higher self, that's God. But that seemed wrong. Any any concrete definition of it, knowledge of it, was like, was just an attempt to explain something. So it's like, that was less important than just simply following following the insight. Just let it be. It's it's obviously, and in some ways I can understand someone feeling like that's more real than my monkey mind. Oh, it is, <laughs> it's, well, I was about to say it's definitely more real. I'm like, no, it all depends on your definition of real because, yeah. What becomes real is what you are focused on more. And I think those moments for me are very fleeting. They're more powerful. um, And I want them to be more real. But it's hard for me to focus my mind in a way that operates on that level as much as like the monkey mind, if I'm being completely honest. Absolutely. And so like that lately has been you know and i say lately in like past couple years has been more and more um of my focus like okay how do i get how do i stay in that spot more where i am more aware and um you know meditation helps and doing things that are meditative you know help tremendously writing is huge and i like i i've really started like as i'm sure you and nate have as well really started understanding the magical nature of writing and discussions like this this is nothing more than um creating whatever it is that we're talking about creating more space for it because in the duration of time that we go through discussing this stuff we are changing what we possibly could have used this time for so we're going to get more of it and we've talked about that like with synchronicity is that the more you start opening up opportunities to discuss higher level thought, higher level ideas, things that we don't quite grasp at, we're we're kind of stretching our ability to imagine in those moments. 
So as we've talked about and experienced, it, we do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm sure that in the next week or two weeks, we're going to see more of this stuff. And even when Nate put this as our prompt, I started noticing it outside of myself. Yeah. Other people were talking about stuff and obviously the, the trailer just came out for matrix four. So that's going to be on people's minds, but that starts popping up. So then for me, the question becomes, you know, knowing that knowing that like we have the ability to create our own matrices, to create our own realities by spending more time focusing on things that we would like to explore or push, push forth with natural curiosity. It, it becomes very exciting. It, it's kind of like what Dozer says. He's, ah, you know, if you are who you, who, who they say you are, this is a very exciting time. And it is a very exciting time. It's always a very exciting time. If you want it to be, if yeah. you're ready to, you know, push an idea further into create a different reality. Um, it's always right now. It's always happening. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So for me, it's like to kind of get back to your point of like good and bad. That is very, what's the proper word for it? It, it all depends on, how you look at it because there have been very what would be uncomfortable situations that I'm like, I don't want to spend a lot of time feeling the way I felt in that, but it also helped define a direction that I want to go after, which was extremely useful. (laughs) But, but it's also like something that I, I recognize that I do as well is that because of the potency of certain events, I feel like it's a misstep to constantly revisit the actual event versus the result. Because maybe the whole point of like a traumatic event is to yield a result so you can move forward. Yeah. But then it's kind of popular right now and I, and probably has been for a long time. We're probably, it's probably a sign of a past way of thinking. And to me, from my perspective, it's time for a new way of thinking where it's like, okay, <laughs> something, something happened. It had a profound effect. You were supposed to make a certain decision. It was was supposed to change your life and trajectory in a certain way to move you forward. But then what do we end up doing or what do I end up doing in those situations that I don't care for is that I talk about the event 
you're, you're venting. I'm venting or I'm ruminating or I'm thinking. And even if the result was good and my whole point of like telling that story is to relive my own triumph, that in and of itself, that activity, that, you know, um, that masturbation of that <laughs> life event. It's what it is. Exactly. It, it sends me right back to go through that again. And that's what I'm like. I'm currently really fascinated with like trying to move past that. Yeah. And I'm like, can I just continue to advance? And it's like, and obviously by, um, but by the natural process of life, you do because you age and you do remember, but it's like, it's almost as if what I'm asking for is, I want to forget the event and remember the result so I can move past and continue my exploration and curiosity in that newfound um, enlightenment. You've been this, you've shown me moments of this, of a, of a way of being frustrated with that, that old way of viewing things or at least relating to the past. Um, you've said it so many times for, for years. You did it when you were young. That, that whole standing up on Christmas morning and saying, all right, that was like, <laughs> I'm done with that. Can we please not ruminate on Christmas Eve? Because it's Christmas. Like, <laughs> let's, let's talk it's about our- It's a season our, of perpetual hope. It was, let's, I know we're out in the sunshine again, but let's all talk about how, how victimized we were by the rain last night. And it, you kind of have to wonder if there is not something, a part of us that is still wanting to be inside the cave. Um, or I, we're just not really ready to see with new eyes and move with new, these new abilities because it's so new and scary and, and we're just so used to, to, you know, dealing with all the beliefs. And the, I mean, I kind of had another intuitional thought last night that came to me that it's, and this is in regards to any kind of waking up from delusion or any kind of egoic, you know, transformation, destruction, whatever, is that it's like we're, we're the, the monkey with his hand in the cookie jar. It's like, yeah, yeah, but I want to take the cookie out. It's, uh, the cookie is clean. I cleaned it off from all the, the you know, whatever bad was on it. Um, and you think you've removed all the bad, but it's like, I want to get out in the sunshine away from, every, you know, the, the, the containment of the jar. But I just want to take this one thing that I feel is mine and should be mine forever, and there's nothing wrong with it outside the context. But it's like that's a part of the matrix. You you got to move on with your life. Um, it's a very scary thing to a very adult thing to have to look at absolutely everything that you are, everything that you know, everyone that you love everything the way that it is and realize it will die. Yeah. Absolutely everything. I mean, to me, it reminds me of being a child and being 
forced to by circumstance, because I don't remember choosing any of this, but having these fever-induced nightmares <laughs> of having to confront symbols in my dreams that were obviously pointing to this. Yeah. Like this unescapable monster coming after me with no face. Um, too much too much sugar before bed. Always <laughs> I'm serious. I'm dead serious. There were... I've... We, I've probably talked about this ironically, um, but there was a rock candy that had just, I don't know if it was just off the Richter scale amount of sugar, but there were like two or three times where I had it and I, it was enough to where even me at age six recognized like, don't have that shit before bed. <laughs> cause, cause I would, I'd have very deep, dark, metaphoric uh terrible dreams nightmares yeah did you ever have dreams like i I had this one reoccurring dream and it was funny because i think I've, i've said this to multiple people including you i could tell that it was the same dream based on the feeling it was the feeling of it it wasn't the appearance because sometimes I was running several times. It was like, it was like the sun was coming down closer and closer to earth and getting closer to our house. And I had this sense that it would eventually smother me. Shit. And then other times I had, um, I had a dream and you were there, um, while it was happening, I was like sleepwalking where it was a pillow coming down on my face. I remember you telling me about the pillow one. And I remember you telling me about the pillow one while you were in the middle of the fever dream. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, and that was like, you were there. You were there when it was happening. Yeah. yeah. Cause and I was having a fever dream too. <laughs> I was having a big hands fever dream, which was very similar to Foo Fighters. Like my hands wouldn't fit. They, w- they were so chubby and large that they couldn't fit together. And I was like clasping them and they weren't fitting, weren't fitting, weren't fitting. And then as I was coming out of the fever dream, they started fitting more and more. And I was like doing something with my hands and you're at the top of the stairs, like with a pillow, <laughs> and you're like holding the pillow and you had these white eyes. And I just remember like being in such a weird place that I was freaking out that you were freaking out and nothing was making sense. It was Awful wow. and awesome at the same time. I didn't know that you were going through your own thing. That that's yeah. we synced up, man. Yeah. I mean, but it, it's weird. It's weird to feel like. Uh, I wonder if you're being like visited by some other. Uh, I I have no dogmatic belief about it, but I something is there. That's not without purpose or meaning, whatever it is. I felt, I remember coming out of it and feeling like, yeah, it's terrifying, but just to simply label that as bad seemed wrong. It's like (laughs) to look at that as bad was just a not very useful or not very truthful way of looking at it. I knew there was meaning in there. Okay, let's explore that idea um, a little bit because I've thought about that where I feel like I've definitely moved in a different direction than I have in the past historically throughout my life in the past 
two years, I've moved in a drastically different direction because of my redirecting of my definitions of certain intensity levels given certain experiences or moments in my life. Uh, to kind of further clarify, you know, we see something as like, oh, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. And it's really our attachment to the intensity of or immediacy of a moment. But I've lately really have been breathing through those moments and saying, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about this. I'm excited. Like we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. And I'm psyching myself up to go into a moment that I would normally be backing away from and I'm moving toward it. So, um, that to me has, you know, it's, you can call it good or bad that it, it's just different. And I, I guess that's what I was after, really after, was I'm tired of the same. I'm moving to something that's different because I'm tired of the monotony of I already know. I'm kind of ready yeah. for I don't know. And to me, this heart, like, and I've thought about this multiple times because when I very first saw the scene and even multiple times after it stayed with me and I was like, what the fuck does that scene mean? And I feel like I finally know what that means. And I just explained it um, for my own definition. But when Neo's in the car and it's raining outside and switch and um, Trinity are like in the, and so is APOC, but they're all in that car in that like black classic car. And Neo's about to get out of the car. And then Trinity warns him. She's like, you know where that, you know, you can go, but you know where that road leads. Yeah. You know exactly what happens. And she's not talking about Third Street, you know. (laughs) Exactly. And like at the time, you know, I mean, I will fully admit I was young and I was like, where does that? (laughs) (laughs) Do they not have good tacos down there? Yeah. I'm like, well, what's down that street? Is it like a gas station that he always goes to? And I'm like, totally like I knew it was more and I knew like I kind of intuitively knew what she meant, but I I wasn't 100 percent sold. I'm like. Maybe there is a gas station down there that he always goes to. <laughs> so I was kind of floating when I very first saw it. But like the more I watched it, I really did, you know, start realizing I'm like, yeah, it's the the life he's always had. And he's been moving in that direction and he knows how it's going to be. And in this, there's uncertainty. There's things that are going to scare the shit out of him and their challenges and all these different things are going to be constantly coming at him and it's going to be uncomfortable and this and that, but at least it would be different, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So I think that's, what's being kind of communicated in a, in a, uh, at a different level by intuition or whatever that is, or these moments. It's like, that's what I kind of saw with, you know, uh, recognizing that one night for me as being so terrible. One second. Just one second, actually.
sorry, we can edit that part out. Um, something feels like a little nod to go to, and I, I was writing about this last night, it feels like it's this little subtle nod, that, or not so subtle nod, to move in the direction of Crucible. Yeah. And it's like, it. it's less, it's not about any kind of knowledge about what will be on the other side. Uh, uh, specifics about, you know, you're going to move to a better shadow. Um, there is no knowledge before the, beforehand. You have to approach it. You have to see it like Neo did. You will see differently if you go through it. But, you know, walking the path is different than, you know, knowing. Um, it, it's it's a weird place to be. I mean, Trinity's talking to him and saying, that you're just going to go back and you don't want to be sitting at that prison of a job and then, you know, selling, um, being a hacker by night and searching for Morpheus and the, and the matrix the you know, the reason behind that, you're just going to go right back to that. All of that searching of wanting to know, and you've been given like it, something responded to you and said, here it is. And then you suddenly want to get out of the car cause it's too much for you. And it's, it's too much for everybody. Um, somehow he has to march in that direction and and get through it and transcend. And that's not something you go through with this perfect knowledge ahead of time. Um, but I've, I've had those moments of kind of getting beyond that, that pivotal moment where you start just, there's some kind of alchemy happening where you're transcending the both good and bad of the previous moment, the previous dilemma. <clears throat> and, but every single time it's, you know, how many people try to find a way to be able to, well, I'll just tweet something about it or, um, or I'll just vent about, you know, invent a story where I already know what's wrong and what's right. And there's so many, there's so many distractions to make you think that you've gone through it. Um, that would actually stop you from physically going through it. It's, you've got to get hurt. Um, I told uh, Nate about a circumstance that I had a kind of a, a thing where it was like, there's something about going through a crucible and really just surrendering to intense suffering. That's like, it sucks, but it seems to be a part of the formula that you can't change. And, uh, well, okay. It's just, <clears throat> so on that note, on the note of going through the crucible and it being uncomfortable and you said it sucks and that's something you can't change. I find you can't change the crucible. That's a hundred percent. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you choose that thing or that thing calls to you and it's whether you show up for it or not. But like, as soon as you enter into that crucible, then you realize, Oh God, this is what it is. There is pain associated because with any crucible, 
it's going to be a different path than you were currently on. So whatever you get used to becomes your new norm, and that takes a while. And in that taking a while, it will be uncomfortable because you don't know. There's uncertainty, you know? You're growing. But something that, like, has come recently, again, these are, you know, in the way of you get those little nods where you're like, you just hear it and you're like, okay, that's true for me now. And I'm supposed to be getting this information right now. Kind of like Neo getting... Um, getting what he was supposed to get from the Oracle. He's getting it at that moment, not necessarily to be full knowledge, but just like it came at the right time. So he would react a certain way to fulfill the destiny he was supposed to have, but he doesn't have true understanding or enlightenment yet. Yeah. Simply because he got those words. But something that I got kind of in the way of in that thing that you're talking about, about like being in the crucible and it sucks, is there's a Navy SEAL, ex-Navy SEAL now, retired, who has done like amazing things. Kind of, I mean, like all these Navy SEALs that are doing like obviously massively difficult physical feats like Goggins and Jocko and Chad. Chad Wright is his name. He's the same thing. And one of the things he was doing, like it was like this ridiculously long run and he came in first and, you know, was interviewed and they're like, well, what are you doing different than all these other people? Cause we have these, we're all, elite athletes but you came in on the top of this competition you're doing something different mentally what are you doing and he's like i've trained my mind to be positive at all cost he's like i've eliminated all negative thought as i'm doing this thing i do not allow it so the entire time, he's like, even when my body's in pain, my mind, I've forced into this space of just feeling amazing. I, I'm thinking amazingly, and I don't allow my mind to beat my body. So he's like, and knowing that my body will go anywhere I tell it to, no matter how much pain, he's like, I, that's what's going on behind the scenes. And I loved hearing that, but I was like, that's very noble. <laughs> but like, how do you, how do you train that? And I, I've talked to you and Nate about that and I'm, currently in the process of utilizing that same thing and for for a while there I was like I don't really understand how you can train that but 
the only way to train that is by putting yourself through very difficult physical tasks that make you want to quit. And then you start doing it where you're like, okay, now I can feel my inner pussy is like, we're good to quit now. <laughs> we're good to stop. And then you just smile and you say, no, we're not stopping. We're going to, we're going to go twice as long now. And then the body's like, what? <laughs> and you just play that game over and over again. And it's weird because as I've been doing it more and more, I've been obviously putting in more time at the gym on this particular machine because it's really hard, the Jacob's Ladder. Um, but the actual like doing it isn't really the training I've found that like as I'm going through and then I hit that point where I want to stop and then like I, I have been like doubling my workout because I know like, all right, that's the game I'm playing and I want to continue to extend that. That has been become very enjoyable on a really weird level that mm -hmm. I can't explain. Um, and it's also started yielding really interesting thought. Like after I get to a certain like uh, duration of like my body being in pain, being tired and my mind like and I'm like over and over and over like obsessively thinking positive thoughts. It's almost like there's this clearing that you reach where you're like, wow. This is a higher level of thought and I'm seeing things that are like just the idea of them is beautiful. And you feel kind of almost like an energy surround you that mm -hmm. you don't feel very often in life. So it's it's weird like how we look at everything is is everything our attitude towards something and to kind of challenge that preconceived belief of like, Oh, this sucks. This is hard. It's like, well, you're allowing your body to dictate what your mind is thinking instead of the other way around. And if you train it the other way around and purposely put your body in those situations and train it to know, like, no, this is really good for us. Yeah. And, and then you, you start thinking, it's almost as if because of the level of difficulty, you have to continue to one up your positive visions in your mind. And as you do that, then you start really breaking ground on like, I've never thought of that positive thought ever. And wow, is that, you know, it's like instantly after I, I, I need to, I haven't yet, but I, I have a strong yearning to write things down because of the level of like, um, visuals that I'm getting in those moments are just their next level. Mm -hmm. It definitely feels like, yeah, it's a different level. I, um, it's impossible to explain. I, I, th I think there's got to be something there to that where it's, I mean, I've had moments where it's like, I like, it's like I'm saying yes in a new way. 
to a no. Yeah. It's like, I mean, we wouldn't, you could look back at, you know, going through any type of hardship, especially like when you're super young, because it's, I mean, you, you transcend those fairly quickly. Um, you might have had some really painful, very, I mean, a, a crucible in the middle of kindergarten, you know, regarding snack time. And it was the hardest thing in the world at that point, because this asshole over here took your carrot or something. And how do I respond? And, but it's not silly when you're in it. But of course, by first grade, or especially by now, you're like, oh, but it's, that's not the whole world. But at that moment, it is. Whatever, whatever the crucible is, it's the entire universe for you at that moment. And, and it's so easy to go, yeah, but that was silly, but this isn't because I'm, I'm 40 now and this is real life and this is actually going on. That was fake and this is real. But every single crucible has like kind of a, you know, the thoughts are coming up and the feelings are coming up, but to kind of stand back and see it all and realize, yeah, that's the formula for every crucible. It's, and it's important to go through it and seemingly to just ally yourself against one side and, and identify with one thought versus the other and stand firm against something you know is untrue or whatever seems like a way or just continuing to vent about it about the shadows, you don't move beyond it. But but when you have those memories of transcending and going to that next upper level that you can't explain, it's like, how do I get more of those? I it's, think by that process. By that. I mean, you, you have to just face it. You yeah. Know? But when you do, it's like, okay, all these negative feelings are coming up. And, and all these negative thoughts are coming up and, oh, all these thoughts th that say that this is the right thing and that person's doing something wrong or that my legs are cramping up and that's a bad thing. It's like you went to the gym. That's the point, you know, whatever the deal is. But at some upper level, it's like that's all a part of the process. And you do, you find some states, some, some you, you feel the sense of leveling up that is a lot harder to explain in, in that old language by the old means. But if you, if you become the one that is constantly looking for those areas in your life right now, I mean, Goggins, I, I he, he's actively hunting for pain, <laughs> so, which yeah. was like, yeah, you got to turn the formula, the, the normal monkey mind formula around and he's done it. Although I, I kind of, and I, I can't criticize him any more than anybody else, but, um, I, I worry about him that if he was in heaven, he'd have to, no, I'm sorry. It's gotta be hell. Um, but you know, more power to him. He's, he's unique. There's only one Goggins and yeah. I, I don't want him being anything other than he is. Um, don't worry. He won't, <laughs> <laughs> he won't, he's, he's not waiting to hear for what I feel and I, I don't want him to, um, but I, I'm more interested in sharing swapping stories with people that have approached their own crucibles. I, I don't care about 
you know, it's like there's another game where we're we're saying that your crucible is wrong or, yeah. or whatever level yeah. is wrong, and Ooh. it's like no, 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 just swap stories, please. Yeah. See, we're we're much more alike than we believe we are, and if we're if we're if we're more focused on the shadows and the shadows that we drape ourselves in, I think like you know the jerseys that we wear and all our little identifications, then we're choosing to be stuck in the past be stuck in christmas eve when we're we're opening presents on christmas morning we're all doing it you know pretty much the same way and it's just such a it's it's such a waste of energy i mean going through some very probably radical spiritual not even beliefs but perspectives at one level, it's it's really like you're the only thing in the universe just staring at a movie. And it seems odd to to want to identify with one character on the screen and all their thoughts and all their feelings and all their beliefs and fight some other person on the screen when it you kind of have to move back from the whole thing and realize it's one amazing movie. And the more you can kind of do that, the more you can see these little rabbit holes into an amazing way of living, a new way of being. And I think those crucibles are those little, those are those little black holes. Um, and you've got to, you end up becoming aware of this other level, this other way of communicating or something being communicated to you. And that's, that's a whole lot more interesting of a ride than monkeys throwing shit at each other i mean <laughs> okay let me ask the, the question what is what do you believe your matrix is telling you or pointing you in the direction of currently or another way of phrasing it is what has got your curiosity Um, something that just keeps coming up is that how infuriatingly stubborn I am about continuing to think that I can control appearance that I mean it's scary how much when I step back and look I fight everything like that's insane to me and and it's i don't i don't think i can ever say that i've ever done any good by fighting something and not fighting seems like it's docile and and weakness and giving up but but it's there's this other thing that's not giving up and it's more like it's the trust fall you know yeah um something is leaning me towards facing uh, everything I would normally call bad. So kind of, it's not about going in and trying to fight. It's, uh, I, I thought you were kind of saying it before, but it's like taking a breath and just simply facing and 
where you would normally have that kind of that reaction, that grasping of trying to raise my voice and control the situation. It's more like, how do I face this in some kind of neutral way? Explain. And, could you yeah. like dive into an actual experience that you've had with what you are talking about right now? Because I know what you're talking about, and yeah. I think like you actually like reliving an experience of that could help like push that idea further. I, one of the things that I've, I've said on this podcast, I believe a couple times now, and it was, this happened after the matrix. This happened, I think, uh, I think it was about a year or two afterward within that time period. And, uh, it was a, it was that college class that I had talked about. Oh yeah. And I, I don't know why, but it was like somehow I felt like I, I really picked up this persona, this way of this mode of living life. And it's also like a character of, I, I, I kind of wonder if it came about because of all my readings of the Hulk, Yeah, you know, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's the tool I need. I just need Hulk smash. And if I project as, as much anger as possible, then things will go my way. And I've probably had countless experiences showing me why that's doesn't work. <laughs> or uh, I, I might want to choose a different tool, not just the sledgehammer. Um, but I approached this class that I wanted to get done with in the same way. It's just, you know, hold myself in this very... Like I'm pissed off that my circumstances that I'm, I'm pissed off that I have to play this, this game, go into this crucible. Like, and the requirement is if you want to pass this class, you have to take the class. And at one level, it just seems ridiculous that it's like, okay, well you want to do this, but that's the payment you have to pay. And somehow in some way I was trying to just dis like I'm trying to destroy it. I'm trying to get it done with. And it was when it was done that somehow I saw like I thought the entire point was to, you know, it's it it's like I viewed it as an enemy to be killed. And then I kill it and then this automatic reaction comes up that says, now what? And I, I, I could see this, this initial desire to let that automatic memory, that automatic way, that program, and to engage it and feel like, yeah, that's what I want too. But it was diametrically opposed to wanting to get something done because here was this, like, you hated that experience, right? And now it's like, yeah, now I need to find a new purpose. You... You got a purpose. Be be happy for it. You you have. No one wants to be outside. You want to have a purpose. It's a good thing. But then you're going to complain about what you have to do. It just seems ridiculous. So I kind of had a moment of. It was such absurdity that it caused this automatic dissociation, or at least this vulnerability to this identification with thought and feeling that I was more just kind of looking at this previous character like he was like wasn't me 
or wasn't all of me. And it, it felt like this surrender. Like, did did I just hallucinate? I I am more than this character, right? I'm more than the Hulk. And and it was weird because like the exact moment that that character kind of failed and I I disidentified with it and that's not something I tried to do it's just like it happened it was like the intuition it just you're you're observing something happening and you don't understand it that's but I was looking at myself and and finding that I didn't have a lot to relate to other than this guy's a joke I I want to be free of this automatic programming that I normally identify with and this it was at that exact second that like it felt like it was like that character or my my hulk disposition towards the world kind of just failed the arms came down but it was it was weird to have this direct intuitional knowing that the second that there was a relationship between that disposition that resistance failing and and my experience of the world. Like I knew at some unintelligible level that what I was and what everything is were inherently linked. Like it wasn't even like two different things. It felt like you can't possibly change without the world changing. And the world can't change without you changing. It's your experience of the world is what you are. They're not two things. So it's just like, and it didn't give me some, I, I couldn't write you, I couldn't write a very intelli- uh, intelligent book about any of this, even at this moment. But looking at that situation was like, I need to find more moments where I act like that complete asshat. <laughs> because the only way to really understand it is to go through more crucibles. Right. That's, that's the only way. Okay, so... My question now is, do you think that there is a way that you could recognize and then surrender in those moments correctly in real time? Because I know that experience. I think everybody knows that experience where you, you are fighting something and then, it, and then you just surrender. And it's in that surrender that you you finally move forward in a way that was different than you had ever done before because you were fighting before or you were you know you're operating out of fear and kind of like neo at the end of the movie where he chooses love and the bullets are coming at him, and rather than resisting, um, which like that scene, though it it would probably be even more confusing to, to people initially. Like he puts his hand up and he says no. And I've talked about this before that I'm like it would to me. I understand it. I understand the sentiment, but I think the proper word would have been yes. Yeah. 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 It's because <laughs> no is fear in stepping back. It's when you're in those moments, the bullets are coming toward you and you say, 
Yes. And rather than a hand, like denying the bullets, it would almost be like a, an open hand accepting them. And they probably would have just shot right through him. And you would have seen like the matrix kind of like what happens after where he like flexes and the world around him bends. It would almost be like he accepts the bullets to go through him and he realizes he's only going to get more powerful by allowing that to come through him and affect him and change him. That to me feels more visually representative of those moments because, you know, I, my moment that I go to, that's how it felt. Yeah. You know, and, and one, yeah, I mean, I, I completely understand what you're talking about. It's, I think whether you're saying no to that whole lower level or yes to that whole other level, it's basically the same thing. It's that like normally with this identification of good and bad and, you know, the shadows, the shadow level, it's if this all is just one thing that you're identifying partially with, then it's all your thoughts and it's all your feelings. It's all your appearances for you. And somehow your matrix and your way of dealing with the world is, is allying with one side fighting the other. Yeah. And to say no to the whole thing or yes to the whole thing is really the same thing. Yeah. It's It's just like, it's, I don't have a preference for any particular appearance. I'm going to step up to that other level. And yes, the the appearance is any appearance. The whole damn thing doesn't, it no longer matters. I guess. And you're not getting hurt by your own energy, kind of. I don't know. No, no, it's weird because it's like, as soon as you were talking about that, it shifted my perspective. I'm like, it all, it definitely does. It depends on what you're saying no and yes to. And he already said yes to love. And obviously the agents and them shooting bullets at him and what he was afraid of, that is what he's saying no to. Like, I'm not going to fear. I'm not, I'm not going to fear you anymore. And he's saying that now I get it. Um, I get that moment far more because that makes sense to me. That fear comes your way and you're like, no. And you say it with ease. I'm not going to fear you. Mm-hmm. If I fail, that is fine. I will improve. But I'm not going to allow you to make me believe that you're going to kill me because you can't. As long as I'm operating out of love. Mm-hmm. Man, I love that movie. It's, yeah, it, I kind of see that, I mean, maybe that was something he was telling himself, you know, that silent, that, that no was really not in response to, oh, I don't want these bullets or no, I'm I'm opposing all of you. It's more like, I've definitely seen where before anything comes out of me regarding a situation, there's that immediate grasping, like, that internal teeth grinding, fist clenching up moment. And maybe he was saying no to that. Like that was the normal venting that he was saying no as it was relaxing. 
and he was just going to face the circumstances. And it felt like, yeah, it was, I mean, I've heard it said in multiple different philosophies or that it's, you're surrendering to the preferences, whatever that is. You're, you're not operating on that lower level anymore of, um, and you're, you're, you're transcending, you're going up to another level, which is, it probably doesn't, it has a new way of relating to thoughts and feelings and things that we, and how we would describe it. And it's easier said than done. Yeah. I, it's, <laughs> well, it's, there is no saying, I mean, you, you, you have to do it. Yeah. That's just it. I mean, I, <laughs> I remember one of the books I read that's like, uh, everybody wants to write a book about truth, talk about truth um, believe in truth, but you've, uh, or I think his analogy was, you got to go do it. You got to go jump. Don't talk about jumping, go jump. Yeah. And you know what, and I think everyone knows what their jump is. <clears throat> And the more you get good at your jump, um, the better you get at practicing moving in the direction that you're you're supposed to be moving in. It feels almost kind of like. in the way that like Neo is the one and the Oracle's telling him, you know, being the one is like being in love as you just can feel it, you know it. And I think to a certain extent, well, I, I believe that everyone is the one and they understand their path and there are certain challenges built into every single person's path that are there for them to accomplish if they are to change in the way that they are meant to change in order to gain enlightenment and everyone's kind of designed in such a way that they fit their path so that it's not easy mm -hmm. but it becomes easier as you mature and you take on those challenges that you were designed to take on and the um, the illusion that anybody has it easier than another might be the greatest illusion of all yeah I because it's all it's all relative depending like maybe somebody has it physically harder or emotionally or mentally harder, but then it's far easier on one end. So, and I don't know, like maybe, maybe I'm completely wrong that some people just are designed to. Well, I definitely, I've seen it where there's a real power to, um, powerful influence of something like 
it'd be very easy for for you to deny yourself um, the appreciation of a, of a particular current problem for yourself in light of if you're surrounded by a bunch of people that are Navy SEALs. It's like, I should just shut up. <clears throat> but that might... And maybe you should shut up about it or about whatever your problem is. It's like, oh, I don't like my job and everybody doesn't like their job or whatever. Um, but then you say it around a bunch of Navy SEALs who, you know, their job is life or death. Yeah. Um, but I think any real, any real adult, I think that is, that understands like a crucible would probably, as long as you treated them with some level of respect are going to see like there, there's hard shit. Like it would be very easy to say, yeah, I'm a father and I'm dealing with a kid that's fighting me, but it's just nap time or it's just this, or it's just that. But you can have some really dark moments. Like I don't know what to do. Yeah. And I, yeah, that can spiral out of control and you feel like I'm a bad, I'm a terrible husband. I'm a terrible father. Um, right now I, I think I might hate this child. <laughs> Um, and that could get out of control. Um, but and nothing is inherently hard or easy. It's just, where are you? Yeah. What, what's it, what is it to you right now? What, what's your, what are your hangups? And the harder it is, the more it's like, I, I think I've approached a lot of these, like sometimes it's like maybe crucibles are, do they start out really small and tiny and not even seen? And do they grow to a certain ripeness? <laughs> and that's like, it's, it's no longer big or small. It's just, is it ready? Is it fruit ready to be picked? Is it fruit ready? Is it um, doorways ready to be entered? And do I have a choice on when I can enter them? Or do you have to wait until it's ripe, which always means a whole lot of pain? I don't know. And seeing it from that lens, it's like you really can't compare it to someone being in a war um, or being in the ring or being saving somebody's life or, or whatever the you know, crucible happens to be. Um, I think, you know, our society likes to talk a lot, which it just, you know, it's like, well, I'd rather point the finger at somebody else and say that, you know, their, their crucible is, is childish or meaningless or not as, not as important as mine. And it's like, whether you're saying, uh, whether you're on either side, like just stop talking about it and you've got to enter it. Yeah. I, I've always appreciated it in my life where I had characters that have, they're not worrying about the you know the shadows of what your particular crucible is or your particular life circumstances they're like they're they're just willing to focus on the love and the appreciation they're having a shared experience with somebody and they've been where you're at or they'll be there again or they'll be there for the first time at a future moment and they might need your help but they're willing to share some kind of relationship with you that's just based on just mutual admiration and respect and love and like i don't care what the specifics are i don't i don't care 
you know, I mean, at some level, it's just you're, you're taking all the normal stuff that we would use to separate ourselves from another person or another group and complain about shadows and just going, no, fuck it. I don't care. You're a human, you know, you're, you're, you're probably having a very similar circ, uh, experience that differs based on content, but it's still a crucible. And I wish you the best. You just gave me a lot to think about. Because now, I mean, it's the same question that, I mean, phrased in a different way, but it's like Nate was asking in this prompt, what are your matrices? And that, I mean, like, you've kind of substituted crucible and, and we've talked about that in past episodes and how I really like that metaphor. It makes, it makes sense because life feels like that's what it is. Um, you can call it a matrix or a program or whatever, but it's like you're running these programs and really focusing on like, what are my crucibles and where are my, where are the hangups in my crucibles? Because I think that's also something that's very important is that we know what our crucibles are. Usually by a certain age, you realize like, okay, this is what I've gotten myself into, (laughs) you know? And, um, and then you still keep hitting roadblocks and you find yourself whining or fighting when really all that's saying is, okay, that's the, that's as far as you've pushed yourself within this crucible and you've almost defiantly decided that's as far as you're going to take it. You're not going to go past that point. I'm going to sit here and bitch about it. Yeah. Where if you have, you know, to get any kind of distance within one of these crucibles, you've had to reach those and go past them multiple times. So why all of a sudden have you decided that's where it stops? (laughs) That's where the buck stops. This is where I bitch. This is where I stop in front of the sign and I whine. Yeah. And it's crap. So, and that, that's kind of, I don't have further to go. Yeah. I'm there. there And this is, and it's like, and I find a lot of, uh, a lot of, I identify with that so much because I've done that a lot and I don't want to do that. I want to continue to keep moving and having new experiences and growing. Cause I think as uncomfortable as that is, it's also far healthier because you feel accomplishment and yeah. you get a new experience immediately after if you push those things. But part of that process and the thing that I wrote down right now is what are my current limitations? Where, you know, where have I stopped and how can I push those 
how can I push past those? Or what are the questions I need to ask in order to yield a different result so I can move past that? And obviously I know I'm gonna be just going right into yet another like mini crucible within the, you know, whatever, or mini matrix within the, the massive matrix of that thing that I chose or started walking in the direction of or was designed to go into. But, um, but I think that's a far healthier way of looking at it and saying like, okay, where are the, where are the edges of my reality? And then let's go past that. Yeah. But I'm going to, I find it. It's, it's, it's not that surprising to me that we both shared come, you know, some pretty, we had some nightmares in the very beginning of our lives. Yeah. And maybe it'd be a healthy thing to try to explore those and maybe like try to map them out, find out where they are. Not, not to, you know, glamorize ourselves or, you know, well, I, now I can post and let everyone know how I'm doing on Instagram or something about those, my approach and my conquering of all these little um, side goals on my quest. But do it and realize that everybody has those in their life. Um, it's probably comparable to what like uh, Jordan Peterson talks a lot about cleaning your room. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of what it is. Oh yeah. And it's, and everybody has, I'm sure everybody has more to clean and, and everybody will take the time to, to, to tell other people to clean their rooms. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of funny too. Um, don't take too much time because that's not cleaning your room. That's that, that, that little activity needs to be cleaned too. And uh, we're all susceptible to continuing to, you know, building, building more stuff, putting energy into more stuff that we'll eventually have to clean out of our room. But it, you well. do get a sense of, you, you get the subtle nod from somewhere that says you're doing the right thing when it happens. Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately I'm going to have to get going because Kristen's had the, the kids for a little bit here, but <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been yeah. A thank you, dude. I've got, I've got work <laughs> again. <laughs> I, I've got work to do as, as I always feel like I do, but it's, it's more play in the hardest way possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thank you. And thank, thank you. Nate. you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it was a great episode. I told him too. It's like, um, you don't have to worry about even talking too much about the other two episodes because uh, we're not going to be able to figure out episode number one. Um, there's so much, there's so many angles. Yeah. so many things to explore definitely so well thanks again well, thank man. you all right take care man happy okay. halloween happy halloween